Record. Recording in progress. Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Blindness Unfiltered podcast with yours truly, Johnny Munoz, and my co-host, Brittany Mexico. So today, I'm going to be interviewing her on this podcast and getting to know a lot of information and everything else about her college life and things like that. So, Brittany, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Heck yeah, man. I'm excited to get a lot of information about you and really learn about you and where you come from and things like that. So let's start by telling me your background. Where'd you, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Talk to me about your life story. All right. Well, I was born in Fontana, California, and I have been visually impaired my whole life. I have bilateral octave nerve hypoplasia. That means that the uh, the thing that connects your brain to the eye, which is the octave nerve, was not connected properly. So that is the cause of my visual impairment. Nice. So at that time, did you realize maybe at, at that time when you were growing up or when you were little, did, did your mom tell you that you were blind? I mean, for me. Well, I- it's a funny, funny story. Mm-hmm. My grandmother always tells this story that they didn't know that I was blind. So wow. I was born and they were like, you got a healthy baby girl. So they mm-hmm. took me home and whatever and fed me and whatnot. And then I want to say when I started crawling, I guess I was crawling weird. And my grandmother noticed that. And I guess, you know how you play peekaboo with babies and you wave your hands and you do dumb baby things with babies. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't really react to any of that because uh, jokes on them. I couldn't see. Right. I I guess that's funny. Mm -hmm. So that's um, how that worked. Wow. And uh, did what? So at that age, they didn't know that you were blind. So you're playing peekaboo and that's how it happened. And uh, realizing that, you know, they didn't know. So after, did your mom go through any intervention or anything like that when you were growing up? There- um, no, not really. I mean, I think that they just kind of, um, I know that when I was like four or five, that's mm-hmm. when I started, um, I had like, uh, they put me in a class for the visually impaired, but my mom and that teacher didn't get along for whatever reason. And my mom felt like she didn't want me to be in that class because the a lot of the blind children that were in that class, they had a lot of behaviors that my mom didn't want me to pick up, like rocking and eye poking. And um, they were just really socially awkward. And so my mom thought that it would be a good idea to mainstream me. Nice. So you were mainstreamed your whole life, basically, from the age of five till the age of um, high school, correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, Okay, so I know that my mom had good intentions, but honestly, being mainstreamed was not very good for me because, for one thing, I was I was bullied. And two, they didn't really know how to teach a blind student so I couldn't really see the board teachers would get frustrated at me they didn't really have the time or the resources to to help me so I pretty much I think honestly teachers just felt sorry for me and they just passed me and then when I got into junior high um 
my TVI that would come every week to put things in a format that I could read, she was just like, you know what, you need to be in a VI class. So me and my mom went to Ontario High and um, that's where the VI class was at the time. And so we went and took a tour of the class. I met other blind and visually impaired students and I was so I was relieved. I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm finally going to get the help that I need. So, um, so seventh and eighth grade, uh, that's, I was basically, I didn't go from class to class. I was just basically in one class all day, but it was really helpful because I learned things that I needed to learn. Like I focused on my Braille. I focused on learning JAWS. Um, on top of learning the regular curriculum that you need to learn, you know, I I learned how to use the Braille, the Braille and speak, the Braille light. And so I really got the support that I needed. And I'm so thankful for that. Let me stop you there. So the other people or other viewers, can you explain to them what a Braille and speak is? Because, you know, the people that are on here, we know what it is. I know what it is, but let's other people who don't know what it is. Explain a that. Braille and speak is basically a Braille. It's like a Braille computer, more, more like a Braille word processor. All you can do is basically type documents on it. I think it had like a calculator and a calendar and some other very simple things. It was a very, very simple computer and so it does not have a braille display it did not have a braille display so it's a braille and speak so basically the braille and speak speaks everything that you type so let's say i were to type my name i would do dot six it would say dot six b r i t t n e y space it would read all that um so that's basically you control the device using different um combinations of keys so like um oh with space bar would open up the options menu just for an example or like dot one two three would take you to the top of the file and four and dots four five six with the space bar would take you to the bottom of a file so um these different key commands are called chords you remember that right johnny you 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 did that yeah, I used to have a Braille speak, but I wanted you to explain it that way. People and my the other viewers that are listening to this podcast in case, uh, you know, and that's why I asked you to explain that. So you use the Braille and speak. You learn how to use JAWS. That yes. helps you. Also, did you do any O&M training? So O&M training, basically, I'll break it down a little bit. What that is, is based, it show, they show you how to prepare for the real world, get on buses, trains, and things like that, anything that you need to do. So that way, when you do come home or when you do um, things like that. It's the fact that they show you how to do it. So when you graduate high school, you know what to do, how to prepare yourself so you can do everything by yourself independently. I honest, I'm going to be very honest right now. Um, mm-hmm. I did do some O&M training. I had to learn how to use a cane and how to you how to go to my classes when I was in high school, because a lot of blind and visually impaired students have an aid in high school. I did not have one. So I had to learn how to get to my classes on my own. And Ontario High was very, very crowded. 
So I had to learn how to find my classes. And so that was a part of O&M. And sometimes we did um, street crossings and um, some light bus travel. We've done, we did some Metrolink traveling. The Metrolink is basically the train system in Southern California. So it goes from like San Bernardino to LA, um, LA to Oceanside. Um, so there's different um, trains. And so I would always take the one that would go from LA, uh, from San Bernardino to LA Union Station. So um, I did do a little bit of that. Yes. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so you actually did that. And um, so in high school, did you do anything like, like ROTC or did you do anything like that in high school? Okay, well, I took AP Environmental Science because it's it's funny story. I had a science teacher and she didn't want any more blind students in her class because she had had blind students in her class before. And my VI teacher was like, no, 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 Brittany's great. You know, please just have her be in your class. So I did science. And then after I took her class, she was like, hey, I'm going to teach AP environmental science. Would you like to be in my AP environmental science um, class? So I took AP environmental science and I actually won an award for that because I had the highest grade in the class. I'm telling you, Braille really helped me a lot. I literally went from a DNF student to a straight A student. I can't. Wow. wow. I cannot tell you how much Braille changed my life. But uh, so um, I took AP Environmental Science. I took AP Biology. So I was really into science when I was in high school. And I was also a part of this program called Link Crew. And basically that's where the um, the juniors and seniors, they mentor freshmen coming in. So basically before school would start, we would help them get registered and we'd play games with them and just get them acclimated to the high school campus. And then throughout the year, we were basically just supposed to call them and check up on them and see if they needed anything. So I was a part of that program. And um, that program also, we also did some community service. So um, there's a picture of me somewhere painting a fence as a blind person. Uh, which I was very upset about because back when I was in high school, I thought I was cute and I got paint in my hair and I was very upset about it. But that's a whole other story. Wow, that's crazy. You did Link Crew. Wow, that's that's awesome to hear. I mean, for me, I didn't even do that in high school. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So did you do any prom or grad night or any of those events? Homecoming dance? To be honest with you, I, I did prom. I did not want to do prom because... I am an introvert. Everybody that knows me knows that I am extremely introverted. So I really didn't want to do prom, but my VI teacher and my grandmother insisted that I do prom. So I did. It was okay. And I didn't do grad night. And I um, I didn't really do any of the other dances either. Yeah, you're right. Me neither. I didn't do any of them either. Um, okay, nice. So... After you graduated high school, did you went to a blind training center and um, you had 
you know, it was all right for you, but you had to quit. But you said it helped you from O&M to get your guide dogs. Um, let's get into that. It helped me because, okay, so I went to the Living Skills Center in San Pablo. And that center, basically, you are put in an apartment as a blind person and you have a roommate. And you have to pay bills, get your groceries on your own. You're basically living in an apartment. Yes, there are people there to help you, but they're very hands off. So if I wanted to go to the grocery store, I had to walk to the grocery store. If I wanted to go get some tacos down the street, I had to walk there. Or like, let's say I wanted to go to college. So at the time, I was um, in junior college. So I wanted to go to Berkeley City College because I felt like that college was better than Contra Costa, which was also another junior college. So in order to get to Berkeley City College, I, have, I would have to take a bus to the Richmond BART station. I would get on the BART. I would go to, I want to say Berkeley. I would get off the BART and then I would walk to class. So that experience really forced me to learn how to use public transportation because I used public transportation in high school, but not really, not as much as I did there. So it forced me to really learn how to travel and not only that but traveling with other blind people that were a part of the program helped me with my own mm -hmm. wow and from there you actually went to um step and after that you got a guide dog so talk to me about getting this guide dog like what was the process like i mean for my viewers that are listening right now what would you well okay you so my grandmother um, was cool with this lady who volunteered for Guide Dogs of America. And my grandmother was just like, you should get a guide dog. And I was kind of on the fence about it. I didn't really know if I wanted to do it. And um, so I went to step. I did step two. And basically, when you do step two, they put you at a job site in downtown L.A., and at the time, we rode the bus. So we would ride the 108 to Crenshaw and Slauson. And then we'd get off the bus. And then we'd, like, cross Crenshaw and Slauson at, like, and um, and get on another bus and go into downtown LA, right? And so one day, I was getting off the 108. And I was crossing Crenshaw and Slauson. And there's, like, this, there's, like, an island in the middle of the street. And um, I almost got hit by a car. And that really kind of scared me a little bit because people who have traveled in L.A. know that the traffic is kind of crazy. So I almost got hit by a car. So that day when I was at my work site, I called up Guide Dogs of America and I just said, you know, what? Um, I'm going to get a dog. I'm going to try this out. So I filled out the application and the application process was pretty intense. You have to give them your basic information, like your name, your address. Um, are there any routes that you know how to do? You have to get um, an O&M instructor to fill out a form saying that they think that you're a good traveler. Your doctor has to fill out a form. At the time you had to get two people to um, 
be to write you recommendation letters or to be references for you. So I, I had to do all of that. And so my application went in and I want to say I got, I filled out that application that summer and I got my guide dog in January. Wow. So it took you at least a couple months to get this dog because they had to match you and things like that. Yes. They tried um, to match the dog with your personality. So like, let's just say, Johnny, you're getting a dog, right? So mm -hmm. there may be 30 dogs that they have at a drink. They call. So let's just say they have 30 dogs at the time that they're training. So 10 of those dogs might be a good match for you. So you'll go to the guide dog school and they'll see you, they'll assess you, they'll see how you are in person for a couple of days and they'll say, okay, we have three dogs that we think are going to be good for Johnny. And then that last day, they, not the last day, but like, I want to say dog day is usually on Wednesday. And so that Tuesday night, they're trying to figure out what dog is Johnny going to get. So then they decide what dog Johnny gets the that Wednesday morning. So that's kind of how that whole process works. Nice. So you were talking about dog day. Talk mm -hmm. to me about your dog day and your first dog, the name. Let's go through all that. So let's go okay. through a Brittany well, day at the guide dog school. Let's do that. Okay. So dog day. Um, is Wednesday morning, so you eat your breakfast and um, you have a lecture, I believe. And so after that, they tell you to go back to your room. And so one by one, a trainer will walk in and introduce you to your dog. So the dog that I got, her name was Harvard, and she was a black lab. And she was not at all what I thought I was going to get. I thought my dog was going to be a big, ginormous yellow lab. But no, they gave me this teeny tiny, short, little yellow lab. And so the um, Patty Elizondo, do you know her, Johnny? I heard of her, actually. but Okay, not. so Patty Elizondo, she, she comes in my room. Shout out to and, her. And she... Um, she she brings this dog over to me and the dog just kind of looks at me like, who the fuck are you? Like, they don't know who you are. It's not like they can tell the exactly. dog like, Hey, this exactly. Is, this is your new blind person, Brittany, and you're going to guide her until you die. Like they, they can't really tell them that. <laughs> so basically the dog kind of comes in, she kind of looks at me like, mm. and then I pet her and she rolls over on her belly. Cause Harvard loved belly rubs. So I, you know, I rub her belly and then so Patty says, Hey, can I have your leash? So she takes my leash. She, she, she connects Harvard to my leash and she walks out. And that day was honestly stressful because the dog has never met you in, in its life. And you've never met this dog. And this dog is trying to figure out who you are. The dog literally went from its puppy raiser to the school with its trainers to you. And, and I think the, the part about my dog, so my dog went to its puppy raisers, to the trainers, and then I guess somebody had my dog before me, but I guess she had too much sight. So they gave, uh, she gave, she decided to give my dog back. So my dog starts crying. Like she literally just starts crying. <laughs> 
because she doesn't know me. She's in this strange room and Patty left and Patty was her favorite trainer. So my dog starts crying and I'm just like, I start crying because I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. I, I don't know. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this dog doesn't like me. So I'm going to be very honest. I really felt like my dog didn't like me at first. Like, um, so at the time you would, at night, you would put your dog on tie down. So a tie down is basically like a, like a leash that's tied to the wall. So your dog isn't wandering around, um, at night while you're sleeping. So I would put my dog on tie down and I, I put this on everything I own. She would like push her bed as far away from my bed as she can get it on tie down and then lay down. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, this dog doesn't like me. And I was so, so distraught about it. And not only that, but it was very stressful because you have to learn all the commands. Like you have to learn to walk with your dog and you have to learn to follow your dog and you have to learn how to make left turns and right turns and how to cross. And, and not only that, but you're learning how to take care of your dog, how to groom it, how to know if it has an ear infection. It's just like a lot to take in at once so I just remember it being very overwhelming I remember wanting to quit when I, I cried myself to sleep a lot because I just really thought this is this is intense this is a lot so we graduated though me and Harvard made it um Harvard guided me through college she got me through college she um yeah, she got me through being at junior college. She got me through Cal State, uh, Cal State LA. She, um, yeah, she was a great dog. I kept her until she died. And um, we, it's crazy because like I said, she, yeah, at first she really wasn't attached to me. But as time went on, she got more attached to me. And then of course, when we went home, I was the only person that she knew. So we were super, super, super attached. Like I would hug her and pet her and, and um, she followed me everywhere. I think um, th that was kind of unhealthy. So if you ever do get a dog, Johnny, don't hug and pet them all the time because it's not good for you or the dog because when they have to retire, they will get separation anxiety and that's really hard. So just some advice, I guess. Wow. So you kept this dog till he died till she died. And after that, tell me about your second dog. Okay. Uh my second dog was the total opposite of my first dog. My <laughs> second dog was a golden retriever named Paddington and he was ginormous he was like 75 pounds he was a big 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 dog with a with big floppy ears and a really bushy tail and he was really like he loved people and me and if he could he would sit in my lap and just be very if you were a person, he would be that person that just hugs you all the time and just, hi, I'm so happy to see you. He was, oh, man, wow. he was a really sweet dog. And he, he was really good at crossing streets. I don't know. He was just amazing at that. Like, every dog has their thing that they're, like, really good at. And that's that was his thing that he was 
really, really good at. And um, yeah, I didn't have him for very long because uh, he ended up getting sick and then he ended up passing away. So yeah, I didn't really have him for very long, but he was a cool dog. And so your dogs, basically, they helped you get through a lot, a lot of stress, a lot of things like that. So you brought up a good thing, actually. Junior college. Mm -hmm. Take me through that. Okay. Um, well, junior college was, it was okay. Um, honestly, I think the hardest thing for me, I, I went to Ontario High, and no, I did not have an aide. But I had everything I could possibly want as a blind person. Like, um, if I needed something in Braille, it was in Braille. If I needed tactile graphics, if I needed whatever it was, I had whatever I needed. If I needed the latest version of JAWS, I had that as a blind student in high school. If I wanted the latest Braille note, my TVI ordered it, and it was there the next week. And so college wasn't like that. Um, First off, I I was mostly a Braille reader. I enjoyed reading Braille. It was easier for me. That's how I learned. I'm a visual learner. So I need to be able to see things. But since I can't see, Braille is my main way of, you know, being able to learn things. But in college, a lot of times, they just give you things in text. They give you, like, let's just say a history book. They're going to put it on a flash drive and you're just going to have to read it with JAWS or put it on your Victor stream. And um, that was really hard. That was an adjustment for me because I was not used to doing my schoolwork that way. Exactly. And, and I had to fight to get things in Braille. Um, I took a math class and they didn't really want to Braille my books. I don't think it was that they didn't want to Braille them. It's just that they didn't have the, the ability to, the resources too, I guess. So a lawyer ended up getting involved and it was just the whole thing. But um, so college was hard for me also because I didn't have the latest thing. I don't want to say the latest and greatest equipment, but just equipment period. I, my first semester of college, I did not have a computer I guess my counselor thought I was going to drop out. I don't know. They wanted to wait until they felt that I was serious, going to be a serious college student. I don't know what their logic was behind that. But I want to say like my second semester of college is when I, when I got like Shaw's and things that I needed. And I think it took like a year before I finally uh, was able to force Department of Rehab to purchase a Braille note for me. And um, so I think for me, going to a junior college, college was a humongous adjustment as a blind person for me personally. Yes, it is. And I get that too. Um, what about university? University was a little bit better, mainly because I had already taken math. So in order to transfer to a university, you have to either take statistics or you have to take like a like a really hard algebra class. And so I had gotten all my math out of the way and I 
had this amazing, I had a few amazing math tutors got me. So I didn't have to take math when I transferred to Cal State LA, but Lucky you. it was, <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot easier because it was just reading and writing and, and I'm pretty decent at that. I'm just not very good at math as a blind person. So I, I had accepted at that point that I wasn't going to get things in Braille. So I had learned to just right. read my textbooks mm -hmm. with, um, with a screen reader. So I would just have JAWS read my textbooks over and over and over and over and over again. And until I retained some of that information or I would, um, I would like, when I got like an iPad and an iPhone and stuff, I would email myself chapters of the book and I would just read it on my iPad during my breaks in college. You know, like let's say I have a break in between classes for an hour, I'll just sit there with my phone or my iPad and just have um, voiceover, just read it just over and over and over again until I um, retain some of the information. Or um, I learned to talk to my teachers and they would, let's say they were doing a quiz or something like that. They would, um, they would just email it to me and then I would um, take it in class and just email it back to them. Nice. Um, just stuff like that. Or um, I don't know if it's still like this because I'm an old fart bag, but when I went to Cal State LA, when I had to take tests, I would have to schedule them with the DPS office. So that's the disability office. At it's the still like that in college, actually. Okay. So I would have to schedule my appointment online to take a test. And the reason why you do this as a disabled student is so that you get double time. So one of your accommodations will be like double time. You get a reader, somebody to write down. Like, let's say you have to fill out a Scantron. I can't fill out a Scantron as a blind person. So um, an accommodation would have somebody from the DPS office fill out the Scantron for me um, and double time, other things like that. Or like, let's say for me, I am super paranoid because not everybody is good at reading out loud. And I learned this as a college student. So a lot of times I would say, hey, um, I need my tech, my tests to be in a Word document so I can read it with a screen reader, so I can read it with JAWS. So did that, did that help you? Yeah, because a lot of people aren't good readers or a lot of people don't know how to pronounce things or whatever. So what I would do, like, let's say it's a multiple choice test, I would just read um the questions and look at the answers and then i would open up another word doc and then i would just type one a two c three b whatever right exactly i mean that's I don't right know. so I so i would i would do that and then i would print it out and then whoever would just fill out the scantron for me and and that's how i would do it or like let's just say it's a final or a midterm where it's an essay um, you know, where it's all going to be essay. So I would just have a DPS 
scan that document and put it in a Word doc. And so I would be able to read the questions and then I would open up another Word document and then I would just type out my answers. I mean, like the, the essay. So like, let's just say, I don't know. It was like, talk That's about World War II or whatever. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, like, so whatever the question is, you just type out the answer. So I, I, that's kind of how I would do it. Nice. And and you got your bachelor's degree and your master's degree like this, too. Um, what advice would you give maybe to some blind people that are going to college right now that are struggling with, like, what would you tell them? I would tell them that it's really, really hard and to not get discouraged and to pat yourself on the back because there aren't very many blind people who are in college, who make it to college, who graduate from college. And I would just tell them to never give up and to be proud of themselves. I would tell them to um, learn how to advocate for themselves. If you don't ask, you're not gonna know. Um, the DPS office is not just going to say, hey, we have services for you, random blind person. No, dude, like you have to advocate for yourself. You have to say, hey, look, this doesn't work for me. I, I don't want like Jimmy and his stutter reading me my test and I can't function like this. You have to tell people, look, I need this math book in Braille. I'm sorry. I need this statistics book in Braille. This is what I need. You have to go to your professors and tell them, hey, look, this is this is what I need from you. I, I don't want to be treated any differently than anybody else, but these are my accommodations, basically. So you have to learn to advocate for yourself. Of and another thing that I would say is, so I got signed up with Department of Rehab when I was 16 years old. And with Department of Rehab, you have to have what is called an IEP, it's individual IEP, right? plan for individual educational plan for individual education plan. Yes. So you have to have one of those. And when I was 16 years old, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I didn't know anything about anything. I was kind of sheltered as a blind person, to be honest with you. So um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So and they're just like, well, you have to pick a career. You have to pick a career. You have to do something. And and honestly, I didn't know any other blind people. I mean, I knew other blind people that were in high school, but I didn't know any blind adults who were successful. So I didn't know what I could do as a blind person. I just thought, okay, like, what can a blind person do? Can a blind person be a psychologist? Okay, all you're doing is sitting down talking to people. I think I could do that. But then I took some psychology classes and I was like, oh, I don't like this so I just was like okay fine uh I guess I'll teach and and don't ever let anybody force you into doing something if you don't really know what you're doing and I wish I would have advocated for myself and said hey look I don't know any blind people can can I shadow some blind people can I take some personality tests or some career tests to figure out what I like, what I don't like, what I want, because at that time in my life, I really didn't know myself. And, and to be honest, I kind of regret getting my degree in the thing that I got it in because I honestly can't see myself doing that. So I feel like I wasted a lot of time in my life and 
if I could do it all over again, I would have advocated for myself and I would have spoke up for myself, but I didn't know how to. So I guess some advice that I would give a blind person is speak up for yourself because nobody's going to speak up for you. That's true. That is actually really true that we just said. And, um, you know, and also as well, Brittany, where can they find you on social media? Um, well, I'm Brittany Mexico on Facebook. I am Brittany underscore 24 on Instagram, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you must know, if you must know, I started a nonprofit with my friends Edward Davis and Cheryl Thurston. And this nonprofit is called Blind United. And our goal is to one day open up a training center in the Inland Empire. So the Inland Empire would be considered San Bernardino, Fontana, Rialto. So we want to open up a training center out there because the closest training center for the blind is... Um, is DPI in LA or the training center in San Francisco. So we want to open up one in the, in the Inland Empire. And right now we're offering classes on Zoom for people that are blind and visually impaired. We have an assistive technology class where we teach JAWS. We have another one where we're teaching iPhone and um, we have a fitness class. We have a support, a support group. We have cooking without looking. And we have the Blind Kitchen, who's going to teach different techniques on how to cook as a blind person. So we have a few classes on Zoom that we offer. And um, so if you'd like to know more about that, we have a Facebook page, and that's Blind United. We have a Facebook group, and that's Blind United Interest Groups. And we're also um, Blind United Interest Groups on um, Instagram. And if you would like to know any more information, you can email us at info at blindunited.org or you can visit our website. And the website is www.blindunited.org. Wow, that's awesome. Nice. I appreciate you being on the podcast, getting to know the co-host of the podcast. It's going to be awesome. And um, stay tuned for the next episode. Next episode coming out soon. My pleasure.